is a decision um, to not know about something that is irrelevant, right? So, oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> that's actually quite valuable um, in the topic of what's the difference between wise ignorance and foolish ignorance would be when you're wise to the ignorance as opposed to foolishly not wise to the ignorance or um you may not know but you know that you don't know it to where somebody who doesn't know that they don't know will either make up something or quote somebody who's made up something Hmm. Right, but it is actually against the society that we live in to not know, and it's okay to not know. That in fact, when that's done in court, the people who do that are very suspicious, almost guilty by stupidity. Oh, I've forgotten all about it. I, oh, I don't remember, Your Honor, that kind of thing. Okay, so in our society, we're supposed to know that, in fact, the questions in the old days at universities and high school and whatnot were almost always um, essays. Or in mathematics, you had to show the work. But nowadays, the education has changed into it's okay to guess, and we have multiple choices. Even in the math, they give you multiple choices, right? So coming to an answer, coming to a conclusion, as it were, jumping to a conclusion, is in fact promoted in our society. Jumping to a conclusion, no matter what cesspool you land in, is okay so long as you jump. And a whole lot of looking before we leave doesn't happen. So it's okay to guess on these tests. It's okay to make something up as an answer. And it's kind of not okay to say, I don't know. There's something wrong with us if we don't have an opinion. But in fact, it's almost to the point that opinions have become valuable rather than an opinion is an admission of ignorance. Okay. Let's play with my fan here for a minute. So. <laughs> so this is really an important point about um, the second noble truth is what kind of ignorance are we talking about are we talking about wise ignorance are we talking about foolish ignorance but in fact um, uh, Parker just pointed out by listening to a tape from some esteemed white uh, monk the poly word Chanda now, I knew Chanda was the groom that the Buddha brought with him when he brought a horse when he left home. But the word Chanda actually has to do with this wise ignorance. Hmm. Okay. Um, and the wisdom also is uh, a quality that we have to, to use actually as a substitute for fear. That fear has been keeping us alive. Fear is the natural understanding of danger. If we practice to take control over that instinct of fear, then we need wisdom as a substitution so that we can avoid being in danger rather than having to be in danger and begin to know that you're in danger because you feel it. 
is fear and feeling of danger. So we actually begin to use the wisdom to figure out how to create safety. We use the wisdom to figure out um, how things are going, the direction they're going in, the trajectory that they're taking. We never know what the outcome is going to be. But if I do know that if somebody shoots the direction of, uh, you're so ignorant, you don't know anything about the poly. If he's shooting a bullet in that direction, and I go stand in that direction. Then I'll stand as a target and let him hit me, and then I'll feel bad. It's me he's talking about. But with wisdom, and I see that trajectory going over there, I can say, ha, it missed me. I can stand out of the way of it. I don't have to get hit with the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune because I recognize them through wisdom rather than having to suffer up through them through feeling. And so this is back then to the issue of wise ignorance. My little story you probably heard of Imagine that you got up in the middle of the night and it's really, really flat. You don't turn the light on because you know your way to the bathroom. And so you go to the bathroom, but on the way you stub your toe. Now, did you stub your toe out of ignorance or out of delusion? Ignorance. No, you stubbed the toe out of delusion. The ignorance was is that I know my way to the bathroom. But that's not real ignorance. That's not wise ignorance. That's foolish ignorance. That's delusion. Because I think I know I went to the bathroom. <laughs> I think I know where the, the furniture is. Wise ignorance would turn the light on. Wise ignorance would say, I do not know my way to the bathroom this time. And turn the light on. Why is that? We don't know, but we do know that uh, in this uh, scenario, the guy got his toe stumped because he thought he knew his way to the toilet. How many times do we wind up in dukkha, in unsatisfactory situations, including arguments, because we stumped our toe on the way to a conversation? Metaphorically, all kinds of times. <laughs> oh, that's all. That's it. Right. We yeah. think we know, rather than recognizing that maybe I don't know, and maybe if I don't know, it's better to keep my mouth shut. Right. Rather than thinking we know something, and somebody thinks they know something else, and off we go in an argument. Now, the funny thing about actual knowledge actual wisdom would be that the person who really actually does know generally doesn't want to argue with people who want to argue over the point because they're deluded about what they know and you can take any subject about that where the exasperated one will say well just go look it up i'm not even bothering to work with you but two people who think they know and are delusional will argue with each other over who's right and who's wrong. Now, take it out of a fact that we're not talking about a factoid, we're talking about the way people feel. But that's where the arguments generally happen is because you don't feel the way that you feel according to the, your criteria for feeling that way. You feel the way that I think that you want to feel based upon the criteria that I make up. And so that's where the source of arguments happen is at an emotional level. But it sounds like that they're fighting over facts. An example of that would be in uh, either Manchester or Liverpool. You take your choice of the, uh, of the city. And walk into a bar there, and and in Manchester, you're for uh, uh, you know the the teams they visit each other, all right. And so my team is better than your team, and now you've got a brawl. 
that Liverpool goes to Manchester and with the attitude of my team is better than yours. Okay. So actually now we can take the, the soccer out of it and put any topic you want to in it. That my dog's better than your dog. My nope. ideas, <laughs> my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> And in that regard, neither one of them have any basis of fact. They can't prove it and walk away. Even though they've got no evidence to show. And that's what knowledgeable people have, is they've got something very, very curious. It's called evidence. In fact, on an unrecorded report, uh, uh, call earlier with Parker, we were talking about that also in the sense that particle physicists and physicists in general know what they know about physics because of the experiments. And they have spent huge amounts of money on places like CERN and gravitational instruments and all that kind of stuff because they're looking for evidence. And yet most of what we know about particle physics is just opinion. We don't have any evidence of a gluon. We don't even have real evidence of a proton. We think we do. But we really don't have much evidence of particle physics. Just like the Christians don't have any real evidence about their heavens and hells and trinities and Mother Jesus and uh, sons of God and all of that shit. They don't have any evidence. The difference between the Christians and the physicists is that the physicists are desperate for evidence. And the Catholics, they don't want any. Because the evidence is more than likely going to prove them wrong, and they know that. So they don't want any evidence. Where the physicists, they don't mind being wrong, they really want to know the facts. Now, in a way, what we're talking about here is Dhamma. That's what the investigation, right view, is all about. It's less get some evidence. Let's go find out what's in the mind. Let's go look at it very carefully. Let's go inspect it over time. As it changes and modifies, we'll begin to get a really good handle on what's going on within this thing that we call a human. And so, in a way, you'd say that, well, psychology doesn't even want you to do that. They don't want you to really do that kind of an investigation. They would rather you pay the psychologist so that the psychologist tells you. You don't have to do the own, your own investigation. And so this is what the real Dhamma is about. It's about that ignorance. <clears throat> Can we figure out what our delusions are and change that to wise ignorance and then to do the investigations that we need to figure out <clears throat> what actions we can take that are useful, valuable, and wholesome. Or, as we've talked, that poem that the AA uses is actually quite brilliant Dhamma, and that is God grant me <clears throat> the courage to do the things that I can do and the serenity to accept the things that I cannot do and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, good little Buddhist boy, we want to play with some of the words in there, clean up the act, take out, out the word courage, because that's not what we need. <clears throat> uh, let us say then that wisdom is the whole point, is to accept the world as it is, knowing 
that we can't change it, but that we can change and influence the little world that we actually live in. And that's the wisdom, is to see what we can do, rather than being all protesting and uptight and, and critical of the things that we actually can't change. In that regard, all we can do is just enjoy the show. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question on that. W wouldn't you Absolutely. say... Absolutely, been waiting on it. Yeah, so wouldn't you say some protest is valuable? You know, like say had there never been a march, uh, you know, Martin Luther King's march or Gandhi's marches, you know, uh, Mandela, etc. You would have a lot less freedom, um, politically and legally, at least. <laughs> um, uh, we could go so far as to say that... <clears throat> Much of what's happening in the politics of the United States goes under the banner that the loser wants revenge and the champion wants rest. And you see that played out at every election, okay, especially the midterms. Whoever the new president is in one um, uh, party, the other party will probably take over. Uh, the Congress or whatever during midterms, right? That's very common, common knowledge. They're expecting something strange this year because of the ongoing situation with Donald Trump. He won't shut his mouth. If he'd have kept his mouth shut and walked away, then the Republicans would have been in really outstanding shape because each one of the Republicans has that mentality of wanting revenge. If you can understand that revenge is the primary motivating factor in politics, let's go now and look at the Civil War. And there was a whole lot of revenge that broke away the South. And then a whole lot of revenge after the war, including the uh, Ku Klux Klan and Jim Crow and all of that kind of stuff. And then they lost it again with um, uh, Roosevelt because they lost control of the unions in a way. They also lost control in World War II. But the big one was a century later after the Civil War when the Civil Rights Movement came in and they lost again. They're still fighting that same war and they don't like losing you see that in sports sometimes that a team will have a losing streak and what happens with that losing streak is the more years they lose in a row the harder the core of their uh, fans become it's smaller but it's hardcore and that's what's happening with the politics today is, is that there is a very, very hardcore group of people who want revenge because they've lost every battle and every war that they've engaged in since the big one. And they don't like it a little bit. And they want to regain their country and make it great again. And they want to keep their guns because they think that that's what it's going to take. But I don't think so. But anyway, my opinion, just my opinion, who knows what's going to happen. But we do know that much of the politics everywhere is based upon revenge and getting even because the other team won. And we lost. We got to go get our honor back. Grudge matches, they call them. <laughs> Hatfield and McCoy situations. That we get into those grudge matches. So right now the United States is in the throes of a grudge match that they have been at for well more than a hundred years. What a hundred and sixty years. 
So here's a question for you. What would things be like if <clears throat> Lincoln had changed his mind or that McClellan got his way? You know who McClellan was? Uh, he was he a general. Was a general of the army that trained the, the, uh, the forces, the Union forces. He trained them and trained them and trained them and trained them and trained them because he didn't want to go to war. Most people didn't. It was when McClellan was replaced that they went to war. Who wanted that? Lincoln. The question is, why did the people of the United States so highly praise Lincoln, sometimes on both sides of the fence? When he started the war, it ain't over yet. So what would have happened if uh, uh, the, um, the local situations that happened in South Carolina that that um, culminated in Fort Sumter, well, let them have Fort Sumter. Have you frozen? Have we lost our connection? Uh, no, I'm still here. Okay, all right. Your, your image has frozen, but at least you're still listening. So, in a way, you could say that um, because of the demographics between the North and the South, that the United States and the people of the United States may all be better off if it wasn't one great big country that goes to war and does the nuclear weapons and all of that kind of stuff. We have literally, the U.S. has been at war since its founding. One war after another, after another, after another. And that would have been the great one to stop having. Let's not have a civil war. Let's let this thing bust apart and everybody goes his own way. And then we wouldn't have things like Fort Hood or Shaw Air Force Base. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, the U.S. may be better off had it, had it split up. Um, that said, you know, you can make the argument, too, that there may still be a lot of black people enslaved, right? Um, which would be terrible. So, uh, but... Uh, it depends upon whether they know the Underground Railroad. And in fact, even after the war, the blacks in the South were enslaved. And in fact, they still are in many ways. But there was a huge exodus that lasted for decades. It was really strong in the 1930s. Black flight out of the South. And in fact, even when I was there, it was very typical for the grandmothers to take care of the babies while mom and dad were up north someplace in a union. Hmm. Making good, decent wage and everybody lived fairly comfortably. I think that still exists in, in ways. But the problem is, is that had the South done it in a more genteel way, maybe slavery would be have been abolished, just like it was all over the rest of the world, without a war that required revenge. That it could have been settled peacefully. That's an interesting yeah. question for historians. <laughs> no, not for historians. This is a question for Domitus. Hmm. Because the, the, uh, the historians have a, an axe to grind. Depends upon which side of the war he was on. Sure. Um, so, why would it then be a question for Domitus? The answer is, is that the United States and the way in the situation that it's in, it's fairly easy to see that it is now a revenge-based society. That there is still a bit of that in Europe except that they've been able to take their revenge pointing 
from Germany and now have been pointing it at the Soviet Union and then Russia. And Russia doesn't like the finger pointing and, and that's why they're having a war in the Ukraine. Is because it was taken away from the Soviet Union in a breakup that they want it back. They want it back. They want revenge. And from what I understand, that's not just Putin, that that's the whole Russian mentality. Is that it's ours, don't belong to the people who live there. Now, why is that? That's because the Soviet Union made sure through their propaganda machines over the decades to grind that into the mentality of the people. Rather than let's just all get along here. So, so our governments go way overboard with all of the extra wars that we don't need. That is definitely true. You know, one uh, counter argument is there are still societies today that have slavery. You know, um, they just don't call it that. Like, say, in the United Arab Emirates, for example. How about the U.S.? They call it the salaried worker? The guy on the um, um, uh, the line, except in wearing a balling and balling chain, they've got him by the wallet. Sure, it starts with the credit cards. <laughs> uh huh. Actually, that's the new way of doing it. That's that's the that's the new slavery. Is a slave to debt. Right. That's part of the reason why the Republicans they do not want debt forgiveness. <laughs> For the average Joe Blow. Right. To keep him in debt. Because if you get somebody out of debt, he may think about quitting his job. Because the reason he's had his job is because he had to pay for all the stuff that he got that he no longer has and doesn't enjoy. All he's got now is the bills to pay. Right. So that's the wisdom coming. Are we going to be wisely ignorant? Or are we going to continue with the delusions and do what we were told to do by the society. Right. So you would go. characterize. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go. Thank you. So you would characterize delusion as a step below ignorance. Um, yes, definitely. Or let us say if it's multicolored, black and white, that delusion is the black part. And the white part would be wise ignorance that you don't know and you know that you don't know. And if you don't know well enough, then you're quite happy that you don't know. So there would be a middle ground and that is you don't know, but you want to know. Hmm. And then there's a side that you think you know when down deep inside, you know, you really don't. And then there's the bottom of the pile, and that is those who are absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. When in fact, they've got no shred of evidence at all. That's where you find the Christians, the zealots, the Republicans is deep in that ignorance. There was an article recently in The Atlantic about how the majority of Americans, when asked, when surveyed, say that they are happy, but they believe, then they believe their life is going in a positive direction, but they believe that the country is not going in a positive direction. I think it's like 75, 78% say that their life is going in a positive direction, and the same amount say that the country is not going in a positive direction, right? Okay, so everybody's listening. Those who think their lives are going in a positive direction are listening to the to the Democrats sometimes, and then when they think that everything is going to hell in a handcart, that's because they're listening to the Republicans. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the Republican stock in trade. They've got to make a problem because they have nothing actually to offer. 
And the question is, why should they have anything to offer at all? We can control all of those people by getting them really uptight and upset about those people who do have something to offer. Right. <laughs> and the problem with those who have something to offer is that it's all going to lie anyway, and everybody knows it. They promise things they can't deliver. Right. So they've always got to have a mansion. <laughs> right. I'm not talking about a big house you live in. <laughs> sure. So um, got to got to have a a, a flying ointment. Got to have an excuse so why we can't do stuff. Right. I so, mean, if they were going to do something about health care, they would have done something about health care. And what have they got now? They've got Obamacare. And, uh, and as good as it is, the Republicans are still working really hard to trash it. If, if the Democrats are actually able to develop to deliver some actual real health care that, that many countries have, what would the Republicans have to say? Not much. <laughs> I mean, what's wrong with having um, national health? Not much. Okay. No. Well, no. The, the people who want to control other people don't want those other people to have health care so that those who do control things can provide the health care for them. It's all a matter of power. which is back to the original part that we were talking about, because they're afraid. If you go around telling other people to be afraid of this, that, and the other thing, how are you going to wind up feeling yourself? Good. <laughs> and, if, and if you are afraid by nature, then which side are you going to be supporting? Those who are already afraid or those who are trying to talk you out of not being so afraid to enjoy your life? Right. So the reason I brought up the, the quote from The Atlantic is I think a lot of people would characterize themselves as happy, but they haven't actually looked at their own mind, right? Yeah. You know, and when they'd characterize their life as going in a positive direction, but they haven't actually investigated. And so exactly. what is so a kind of delusion? You're right. Yes. Absolutely. So, yes. And so what are your thoughts on these types of people? that um, would say, I'm happy, I have everything figured out, but they, they don't, and they're not actually happy. Like, what are your thoughts it on depends upon It depends upon where, when, and how that question is asked. If it's asked out on the street with somebody with a microphone and a cameraman, you know that the person is going to say it in one way. If you find them sitting on the gutter beside the street, it's the same person because they're going to give you different information. Right. Or what about the guy who's checking into the psychiatric ward? Same person. Or let us just say that it's your sister-in-law and she just winds up at the house in a pity party. What's she going to say then? And after she leaves the house, she goes back out on the street and meets some dude with a microphone and a cameraman. And what's she going to say again? Right. She's delusionally and she doesn't even know that she's lying. Because she's lying every time. She'll say, yes, I feel great to one, and no, I feel terrible to another, and she's lying in both cases because she's not the same one. Then, in fact, she does feel good when she says she feels good, and she feels lousy when she says she feels lousy, and she doesn't know, she's got she's no ignorance, that she's got the control over the way that she feels. Right. Very few of them do. And so they'll lie themselves actually into a good mood when they're asked in the right way under the right circumstances. Right. And they'll lie. But not only do they lie, but they will actually then take on that persona in order for it to be correct. That you can easily cheer somebody up that way. Right. I think um, a lot of people see happiness as a form of status, right? So, you know, they don't want yes, to be in a right. lower status. 
so they'll say they're happy, you know, or acknowledge themselves as happy when actually they're not. They're just kind of indicating, oh, I'm a high status person or whatever. And that's why they're saying that. Right. Again, it depends upon the circumstances, and that would be the circumstances of being out on the street with somebody with a microphone and a cameraman. And you want to have status there. You want to have some meaning. And so you're going to perk yourself up and lie. Right. About about the general situation of the mind, but at least right now we're not lying because we do feel good enough. Yeah, I'm okay. Right. And and a lot of people know that being a victim is can be considered by others as a low status position, right? And they don't want to be seen as a victim. So they say that they're happy in order to not be seen as a victim. But that's not what they're actually demonstrating or feeling. Right. And what is then the uh, choice for the victim? Is to not stay in a state of fear and denial, but change it into anger and wanting revenge. Right. Who walks in to make a complaint at the, at the uh, police station? Who is not trying to prove by the way he feels that he has actually got a, a, a value for being revengeful? And yet, he's not going to be, well, let us say in certain circumstances he will, but the likelihood of him being in psychotherapy is that he's going to become the victim which is the more real point. But a good psychologist will bring him down to that, to come out of your seeking revenge and, and talk about how you've been hurt and how you feel. Right. You're not going to get that on the street with a microphone and a cameraman. Right. Well, This it, is a clear example of what we've talked about, I think, before, that in statistics, the observer always bastardizes his data. He always bastardizes it. Depends upon which street corner he stands on. You can certainly stand on some street corners like um, uh, Times Square and you're going to get a whole lot of that. And then you can go over to the Bowery, whatever the equivalent of the Bowery is, to stand there and ask the question. You're going to get a whole different statistical set of answers. Right. So much for statistics. In fact, I belong in that group of, you've heard it before, there are liars, damned liars, and statistics. <laughs> Statisticians, yeah. Because <laughs> statistics can mean anything. Right. And so you have to work with statistics uh, let us say in a generalized kind of way, that if you have five or six different statistics done by five or six different poll groups, and they're all pointing in the same direction, then you can say, okay, I'll take it at face value. But if they have only one poll that's going in the other direction, then, well, maybe this week we can kind of not pay much attention to the polls. Right. So that's the way of, of, of looking at it is, is that we can't go by by one poll. And yet that is what our media is built upon. We want the spikes. You see, in real statistics, we want to level out the spikes. We want to throw out the stuff that skews what we think should be the good data. Sure. Okay, that we throw, so you, you throw the top 10% out and you throw the bottom 10% out and then you've got a better because you, you might have gotten some mistakes in there. But in our society and in our media, they are actually going to pick out the spikes, the highs and the lows, and make that the point of their case. Right. I mean, I would say too, you know, getting back to the example of someone that says that they're happy but they might not actually be happy. If I were to think back to periods in my life that were quite stressful periods, and you were to ask me, it didn't matter if it was on the street or a friend asking me, I would still probably say I was happy. Um, and part of it was acknowledging that my life is going in a positive direction, you know, by the standards of society, right? And 
I think a lot of people. Okay, and also a standard by which doesn't exist, and that is the standard of time. You're putting a whole lot of time in there rather than looking at the actual highs and lows. How do you feel right now? I feel happy. How do I feel right now? Right. Okay, that's what we miss out on. We level all of that stuff out. Right. Rather than seeing the things the way that they actually are. Because those spikes and those troughs are actually the best learning experiences. That's the actual stumping of the toe. Wakey, wakey. Let's use those things in, in the, uh, the day-to-day rather than trying to level things out. Let's see what's going on in detail right now. So you're actually asking the question, uh, uh, let me uh, at least say that a way to ask the question is how can we do statistics in a way that brightens people up? Right. And that would be what we and 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 the heck with uh, the the statistics. But let's just brighten people up. If we can use the ruse of statistics, okay. I'm not against using statistics to help cheer people up out on the street or whatever. But the but the point is is that it's always in the moment. You can't cheer somebody else or somebody up right now and expect them to stay cheered up for ten minutes. They're going to walk walk into somebody that's going to cheer them right back down again. Right, but I I would say too a lot of this has to do with definitions of happiness, right? Okay, I got that too. Right, exactly. Yep, and so you know I think in the Buddhist the Dhamma definition, right? Happiness is a very immediate thing. You know, it's a it's a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the way a lot of people may perceive happiness is, do I have meaning? Do I have purpose? Is my life going in the direction of something that I find valuable? And they'll say they're Perhaps happy. Perhaps they would say it that way, but yeah. a real way, a, a deeper way of talking about it is, is do they feel secure? Right. So when they say, am I doing the right thing? Is my life headed in the right direction? What they're saying is, is it's not heading towards the sewer. Right. That in fact, that I feel safe that we're not heading towards the sewer. Right. So that's where the value is, that, um, that we have to actually, this is an important point then for practice, is to recognize that this is the area that it doesn't matter which direction we're going in, so long as the direction that we're going in is not a dangerous direction to go in. And the Buddha actually speaks it in that way when he talks about uh, that what is wrong action is harming, stealing, ratting on people, that kind of stuff. But what then is the right behavior is merely to abstain from that short list. Right. That where you go and which direction your life takes is irrelevant so long as it feels safe and secure to go in that direction. Right. And a lot of people don't get that <laughs> because they're looking at it from the in, from the backwards or the inside out or they're seeing it in a mirror way of saying that, oh, my life is going in the right direction. Because it's gaining things that I want and I don't feel afraid. Right. However, the reality is is that they're actually able to avoid danger. Right. And so this is really what wisdom is all about. Can we live our lives wisely so that we can avoid the danger because we can see it sometimes much before it happens? Sometimes we can see it days before it happens. Sometimes we can see it immediately before it happens. But when we don't see it until it does happen, it's hit us anyway. Right. Okay, so uh, like the old man who's swinging his shotgun around on his shoulder, uh, not shoulder, but under his arm, pointing it at this kneecap and the next kneecap, everybody who's standing around him sees the direction his shotgun is pointing and they don't like it because it makes them feel afraid because if that gun does go off 
is going to go off in whichever direction the barrel is pointed. This is what we mean then by wisdom. Wisdom is seeing which direction things are headed, but we don't know when it's going to go off. We don't know exactly where it's going to hit. We don't know the future, but we can sure see things, the, the direction that things are headed. We can see that in conversations, you know, like argument, three minutes ahead. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or bad feelings, five seconds ahead. Yeah, it's funny. I have a uh, family member that has everything they could possibly want, you know, materially, you know, freedom, et cetera. But whenever you talk with them, constant negativity. <laughs> and when you ask them, are they happy? They say yes. But it sure doesn't seem that way when you talk, <laughs> when you listen to them talk, you know. Okay. Well, he says he's happy because he's supposed to be happy. He's got everything that he ever wanted in order to be happy, and he's still not happy, and he doesn't want to admit that. Right. Right. <laughs> he doesn't want to admit, as, as with all the success that he's got, he still feels like a failure. Right. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to admit it. Right. Okay, so don't. Put him into a position to where he has to admit it. Right. But put him in a position to where he can see it for himself. Right. That's the way of, of, uh, uh, of practicing, is to be able to point things out. And in fact, with the, there's a sutta about that in, in uh, number 139, when mm -hmm. it actually is talking about teaching the Dhamma and the way that it's done, and you hear me doing that a lot, is, is that we don't talk about me and you. We talk about the Dhamma in an abstract way, and often the examples that I will give will be intentionally over the top. Right. Okay, so that you, so that the student can see the example, but not take it personally. Right. Okay. And another thing that the sutra talks about, um, uh, rather than speaking in generalities, is also speak in the language of the student. Right. That we can, that's the problem with Dhamma language. Dhamma's got its own language. I mean, it's been <laughs> messing with this language for 2,500 years, and we've got it down to pattern. We know the language. Unfortunately, that's not the language that people speak. So in right. order to talk, speak the Dhamma, we've got to actually teach it in the language that the student is going to understand. Right. And so those are the two hints. Don't talk about what he's doing wrong. Talk about burning Madoff. <laughs> right. <laughs> or talk about Biden. Well, no, Biden's not a good example for him. Um, uh, ben Bernanke, other very, very high, prominent Jewish, totally successful dudes that are not known for being happy, well-adjusted people. Right. There's plenty. Because <laughs> there's plenty of them around. <laughs> that misery doesn't create wealth in order for uh, the misery to be abated. Misery creates wealth to make a whole lot of people miserable. Mm. Power. I want power. I want to feel safe. And yet, even with all this money, I still don't feel safe. Because I do have all of this power, a whole lot of people other than me don't feel safe because I'm dangerous. And why am I dangerous? Is because number one, I'm afraid, and number two, I've got money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the society we live in. It's a dangerous society. Right. It's and so now the, the the next thing for him to look at would then be Bill Gates. That Bill Gates, as well as others that we can talk about finally woke up that as long as he was running Microsoft, more money he got, 
he was not happy. I see this also having uh, uh, slowly to happen with uh, Elon Musk, and it certainly happened to Zuckerberg and uh, um, Bezos, is, is that their wealth doesn't make them happy. But with right. Bill Gates, he quit making money and started giving it away. What has he done? He's done stuff with AIDS. He's done stuff with technology. He's given his, his money away in, in ways that has brought joy to him. It's called philanthropy. Right. And so that would be something that he could find joy from is by actually benefiting other people and letting them have that joy. And then he takes his joy from them. Right. So Bill Gates is a very good example, but he's not the only example of a philanthropist. But I think Zuckerberg's wife wanted to take half his money so she could give it away. And that got into a great big squabble. <laughs> yeah. Bezos' wife gave away a bunch. You know, as soon as they divorced, you know, she gave away billions, like immediately. And I bet she was more happy doing that than he was in her doing it. Probably. <laughs> but there's great joy in being generous. Right. It's hard to describe. Sure. I, getting back to the wise the, ignorance. Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. The Lord, if we can do a little Jewish hocus pocus, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Right. <laughs> so, so that's an area that you can work with. Right. So getting I'm back to and all my millions into, hey, I can do something of value. Right. I can put a, a young budding author for son. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, that would be nice. <laughs> But uh, yeah, um, getting back to the point about wise ignorance, I would imagine wise ignorance would lead to right effort immediately, right? You know, given that someone is wise to their ignorance, they would immediately start trying to repair um, what it is that they are ignorant about. Precisely. And that repair, the first thing about it is investigation. Let's go find where the right is. Let's just not cut into stuff. <laughs> Right. Let's go find out what needs to be changed. Let's go look for the unwholesome and make a change to it. To change the mind from unwholesome to wholesome. To change sure. it from being insecure and needing wealth into feeling comfortable, safe, and satisfied so you can let go of all of that. And now we are not so burdened. That's the very funny thing about wealth is everybody wants wealth in order to be safe. And now when they get wealth, they have two things that are dangerous, themselves and their money. <laughs> and so they've got to work really hard to make the money safe, so the money will make them safe. Right. That's that's something I've noticed with my uh, family member that, um, you know, once he acquired wealth, all of these people started trying to take it from him, you know, mm -hmm. um, like friends and family members, you know, et cetera, like people would try and kind of cheat them out of it. And it's kind of a sad thing because it leaves it, it leaves one person feeling isolated. You know, who can you trust? Can Absolutely. You, this yeah. is the biggest problem that they've had with, with sweepstakes and lotteries. Yep. That if you notice in the past 20 or more years, they have sold uh, it out over 20 year pay right why did they do that because people when they get all the money at once at lump sum they destroy their lives right and they have a whole lot of help from a whole lot of people who want to uh enjoy the money that they've got right New relatives you never heard of will come up <laughs> Right. <laughs> and every business in town wants your business. They want you as a customer. Yeah, there's a great writer. He's the one that coined that term skin in the game. I told you about a while back. And he's a wealthy guy. And he talked about how mansions are a scam. 
because humans are much happier living in close communities, like say like in a city, like, you know, like in New York, you know, you know, all your neighbors, you know, et cetera, you're friends with everyone. Oh, the mansion is not a mansion. Now that's symbolic. The mansion part is symbolic. The original point was that it was a fortress because the rich dude was afraid that they were going to rip him off when he wasn't looking. That's why he built a fort. That's what the castles were all about. Modern mansions are nothing but just a relic of castles that were built because everybody was scared because they were ripping people off to get their money and the people wanted the money back. They wanted revenge. (laughs) Right. That's the really important thing about power. People think that if they get power, they're safe. And no, if you've got power, that means you've got people coming after it for one reason or another. And the most logical one is they want revenge. Right. And that was exactly what was happening when he got wealthy. Look at all the people who came for the revenge. Right. How dare them? How dare him be more wealthy than I am? Is the is the underlying point in there? That why does he deserve all of that money? Never mind if he actually scammed it, got it. Why don't you go scam somebody and get some yourself? Oh well, that's exactly what you are doing. You're scamming the scammer. <laughs> right. Good luck with that. <laughs> so they know who to go scam because he's the one who was really good at scamming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, um... so that means that you're going to have to be even more careful and more wise to be able to teach him about the value of generosity without him thinking that you're doing a scam right good luck with that <laughs> tiptoe through those tulips <laughs> right <laughs> yeah I've got a good track record though so that's good you know i'm very honest you know etc um but uh yeah it's funny there's a um there's a reddit post a while back um with a guy who won the lottery and he just sounded miserable you know he would mm-hmm. talk about how he, he didn't talk to any of his friends anymore you know he didn't talk to his family you know he uh, was constantly getting hit up for money um mm-hmm. and the guy like he said he's glad he has the money um but he 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 felt pretty isolated you know it was it was a sad situation um but it's so well known it happens actually every time so by doing it over 20 years you let them screw up really badly for the first three years and after that they learn to handle their money before it runs out right Guess what? It doesn't work. Sometimes they have to spend 20 years doing it wrong 20 times in a row. (laughs) (laughs) With new scammers and new things to buy, and they just never figure it out. Right. I think it was uh, Herodotus, the Greek uh, historian, and he said that... um, that wealth is actually a bad thing that can happen to someone because it leads them to to make a lot of mistakes and get themselves entangled in situations that are stressful, you know. Um, and uh, and poverty is also a bad thing, um, you know, for similar reasons. But uh, extremes. Really, I walk the middle Let's way. Go find okay. a middle path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there are extremes in wealth and extremes in poverty and that people are going to find value and happiness and a good life somewhere in the middle. Right. And that if you're afraid of poverty, then we can recognize, well, maybe your bottom line can get pretty low. So long as you're satisfied, all we need is just basic adequate housing, basic adequate food, basic adequate shelter, adequate medicine. And a lot of people in the United States, even some of them that have money, don't have those things. Right. There's a lot of working poor because they, and we call them poor because they don't have the basic bare necessities. Right. 
and they don't even recognize that they could, if they did it wisely, would wind up having the bare necessities of life, but then they could be happy. Right. Sometimes what that means is you have to move to another town because this one doesn't give you the bare necessities that you need. That you need. Right. So that's the big issue is where can we find our own balance to make life really easy? Right. And the more money, the better doesn't seem to work. Right. And for sure, abject poverty doesn't work. Just someplace in the middle is good. Sure. And so your your friend, your family member, <laughs> will actually be better off if he gives some of that money away. Right. That's the generosity part. He'll actually feel better, but we need to train him by doing very small things, like giving someone a compliment. Right. That right now he's really, really stingy. And so we need to start opening up his um, generosity. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, there's a, uh, what was I going to say? Um, there is a, uh, there's a, um, another family member that, uh, <laughs> yes. that, uh, who maybe needs to have some compliments from him right right and this family member would like to go on uh you know and this is uh this is not i'm not talking about sandra i'm talking about a different <laughs> different one okay um, an auntie and um and uh this other family member with the money um likes to send this one lots of pictures of all the things that they're spending their money on right and um and and with the hopes that it will inspire this other family member to go travel enjoy life etc and i think it's actually just making the auntie miserable you know like just like oh look at all this i i would say so <laughs> yeah. i would say the photo should be of family family connections family sitting around on the couch that's the kind of photos that he needs yes and um and uh yeah i think it's 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 not a good strategy <laughs> pictures of outings right right and you know what's interesting about that is i think for this family member that's sending the photos it's partly a power trip of oh look what i can afford look what i'm doing you know and look how look how how much money i have etc and uh and it's interesting how um i think i think this family member does not realize that he's that he comes across that way you know or maybe that that's what he's actually doing is kind of on a power trip um but he is and so i think it's interesting how people can get deluded and they have no idea as to how they're deluded or what they're they're doing that's wrong you know okay my my thought <laughs> there is to send him a photo of something that you can uh how to say it you bring it up like look what i did my what a great big good good boy am i or wow look at what i can afford Right. Like, uh, here's my new Lamborghini, but you send him a photo of a toy. Right. <laughs> right. That's the way to handle that is to give him back what he's giving out, but do it in a way that he begins to see that uh, you're not taking what he's doing seriously. Right. That's the way that I would handle that. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, I've done a little uh, bit of that, actually. Yeah, that's that's a way of, of handling that is to give them back uh, photos um, that 
are making a mockery of what his photos are. Like if he's got a real grizzly stuffed bear that he has in the uh, the hallway entrance to his mansion, then you send him a picture of a teddy bear that's been all beat up. <laughs> right. That's a funny example. <laughs> yeah. So whatever his outlandish uh, things are, you know, so if he sends you a picture of his new uh, big swimming pool, send him a picture of a kitty pool. Right. <laughs> That's the way to handle him. Right. I have a question for you off the recorder. Um, All right. Well, let's go ahead and finish the recording now, and then we'll do that, okay? I think we've had enough fun on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> All right. So we'll see you guys later. All right, great.